all our focus on Jesus. I'm going to tell you, last Sunday night, what a great way to end the year at church as we all gathered in the altar and prayed. I pray 2015 is a year unlike anything we've seen. God blessed beyond measure. But, you know, as our Sunday school class uh, started Hebrews today, it's, it's all about faith and believing that He is. Believing that He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek Him. That believe in faith that He is above and beyond all principalities, all powers, all prophets, all angels, all everything. And it's all about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, what a great job this morning. Wait a minute. Man, I'm fired up. I'm ready to preach, ready to see what God has for us. And I am so excited. God has answered our prayers. God is blessed. Philip, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you. We thank God that Brent's recovering. He's still got ways to go, but we're praying for them as God's hand was on them ministering there, many others who are sick and in need, let us begin this year praying. And I mean fervently praying. May this not just be a segment. May it be part of worship. We pray. We repent. We seek Him. And God is honored in everything that we say and everything that we do. So let's pray together. Only Jesus. Father, may He be the only thing that matters in our life. Everything else will take care of itself if we just seek you first in your kingdom. And at the head of that kingdom sitting on the throne is our Savior, our Lord. May we be dethroned in our hearts. May we dethrone every idol and everything that stands between you and us. May you be magnified and glorified in everything we say and everything we do. We come to you with praise and thanksgiving today. For the specific things and then for the things that we don't even see. But in your providence, in your grace, and your mercy, you're there. You're guiding our lives. God, we have no idea what 2015 holds. But may we be assured that you hold it. May your will be done on the east side. May you be, your will be done in the Brady household. May your will be done in each family represented here in Claxton. God, may your will be done in our country and in the world. It may not make sense to us sometimes. But help us to step out in faith and trust, knowing that only you are able. So God, move in this place today. May we see you like never before. May we truly be laid bare and worship at your feet. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you're here this morning. We're thrilled if you're visiting. There's a visitor's card in the uh, on the bulletin, I think. And uh, uh, just fill that out. And if not, see one of our ushers and make sure, look, we've got these little cards. And we would love for you to fill one out. Uh, if you have any questions about 
joining the church or salvation or anything after the service, you can come just grab one of these and then just lay it in the offering plate or give it to me or one of our ushers. And uh, that would just help us be able to minister to you. And just whatever's on your heart today. The only thing I can ask as a pastor is that we just be surrendered today. I will tell you, the choir was ready. Are we? Let us worship our Lord and Savior, the King, this morning for it is only Jesus. And then we're going to come back tonight and hear how God is moving on the mission field. Sister Sherry's going to share with us uh, about life skills and about her trip to Uganda and what a perfect time as we prepare to have the choir back with us a week from Wednesday night. And so it's an exciting time at Eastside. So let's just pray God bless our day and bless our year.
always kind of a daunting task to begin a new year. As you look back over the years past, you see things that change and you wonder what may change this year. And I used to be very proud of enjoying change, but the older I get, the less I enjoy it as much. But God is still moving, and as a believer, the process of our salvation called sanctification <laughs> means that we're advancing closer to the kingdom. And as we allow the Lord's working in our lives, we are being more conformed to His image. Though our soul is eternally saved, we are becoming more and more in love with Him and desiring Him more. And the older we get, the more we should be looking for that city not made with earthly hands. That we should be calling out as John did, saying, even so, Lord, come quickly. There are days it's easy to do that when we look around the globe and we see the things going on, but what about the days that seem the best, the best in our life, the things that we don't want the days to ever end? Are they that good that we still shouldn't want the Lord to come back even then? The Old Testament described the place that they first set up in the wilderness. God would come and visit them as a tabernacle. And then it became the temple place that did not move. The tabernacle moved around. And it is simply means a tent. A sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place of safety. And any of you hunters know you don't hunt in a sanctuary unless you want to be in a lot of trouble. It's a place of complete protection. A place that everything is guarded and it's just a place of peace and tranquility. A place of complete uh, satisfaction. And I'm just impacted this morning to do something that I very rarely do. But there's a song that is a call not just to worship, but a call to surrender. It's a prayer. A song of prayer that I think needs to be our, our prayer this morning and every day of our life, but especially going in to a new year. In Ezra and Nehemiah, we see Ezra stand and preach. And as he would stand behind a pulpit of wood and preach for a quarter of the day, the people stood and listened. We, we have a hard time standing through three or four songs. They stood for hour on end and heard the word preached. And so there's something I want to do. We always do the invitation at the end. Chad and I were talking about this other day. Sometimes, and, and I believe that God is a God of order. He tells us that all things be done decently and in order. And I understand and, 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 and totally accept that we have an order of worship. But even in our order of worship, it should be that we're open at any time for the Holy Spirit to change us and do whatever He needs to do. And we have kind of set our invitation, our, our time of altar prayer at the end of the service. 
Well, sometimes maybe it needs to be in the middle. Sometimes maybe it needs to be at the beginning. And so what I want us to do right now, I want you all to stand with me. Y'all know this praise song. It's a prayer, it's a prayer song, really. A prayer of worship. Called Sanctuary. Y'all know that song, right? Let's, let's sing this unto the Lord. Now, I don't want you to sing it unless you mean it. But as you, as you sing it, I want you to sing it unto the Lord. Don't look at me. Look to the Lord. You have to close your eyes. Whatever you've got to do. I want us to sing this from our heart. I didn't plan this this morning. But I believe this is what God wants to do. Maybe there's a hidden spot in our life. But we're not ready for the preached word just yet. Maybe there's something we're holding back. Maybe there's... As I dropped by one of Sunday school classes this morning, they were talking about Genesis and pride and things in their life that caused Adam and Eve's downfall. Maybe there's some issue in your life that needs to be resolved before we go any further today. There's something being held back. And if we sing this song and we mean it, then we may need to come to the altar. We may can do it right there. But make sure by the time we get to the end of this song, our hearts are ready to hear what God's about to say to us. So let's sing this song as a prayer before the Lord today. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Marine Corps marching band. 
He says, Jim, are we dorks? If so, we're proud dorks. And he went on and he went on and he went on and he, he talked about those kinds of uh, people talked about that. Well, it, it reminds me, when you watch a really good marching band, as they have prepared, you watch them march. They're trained to look ahead. They do not look down. They look at the head of the person in front of them. That's how they march. They're looking at the person walking in front of them. And if they were to be marching down a road in some 4th of July parade, and it was somewhere like Alabama where they paved the roads about every 40 years, and there's a pothole that deep, the person behind the one in front, if they're doing what they're supposed to do, they're going to see that person drop off and say, oh, there's a pothole coming. If they see that something's out of sort, they're watching ahead to see what's going to happen, and they follow the leader. They literally do this, which is my topic this morning. They're looking forward to the past. You see, the one in front of them has already gone before them. It is the past to them, but it is forward to the one behind them. And so today, for us, much like he said in, second, uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, as we talked about this morning, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about chapter 11, talking about Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Rahab and, and, and all of those great men and women of faith who had trusted the Lord. And it was accounted unto them for righteousness. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let us lay aside every weight because we can look forward to the past and know God is in control. To know God wants to bless us. To know God is the center of all things. And that this world was hung by Him, spoken into existence, and the God who can create the universe can surely manage our lives. Amen? That's right. Look in Philippians chapter 3. If anybody ought to have a grasp of this, it ought to be the Apostle Paul. He understood the fullness of the legalistic side of Judaism. He was the most zealous of Jews at the time. I mean, he died. He, he was on a campaign. And yet, the Lord, as we preached just a few weeks ago, met him on the road to Damascus and drew him unto his saving power and saw confessing and repenting of all his sins, trusted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Lord of his life. Jesus forever changed him. Changed him so much, he said, you're so changed, you've got to change names. And he gave him the name Paul. And Paul, every time he wrote a letter, he refers to his Lord Jesus Christ, or his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't just say Jesus and throw the name around. He knows the very depth of what sin looks like. And he knows the pinnacle of being raised out of that horrible pit, miry clay, and having his 
goings established as David said in Psalm 40. But you think back for just a minute. Remember what it was like to be lost? Remember what it, like, what it was like to feel like you know you were on your way to eternal damnation and separation from God? Do you remember that? Because if not, you need a refresher for it. You're not going to be lost again. You can't be lost again if you've been born again. Because look, the work of salvation is completely the Lord's. And in that fact, that's not just prior to us repenting. That means post-repentance. God, If God saves us, God keeps us. Okay? How, if we can't save ourselves, do we imagine we can somehow cause ourselves to be lost again if we've been born again? Y'all understand that? Sealed into the day of redemption because Jesus is Lord. Remember what it felt like as we look forward to the past. He said, referring back just to a few verses in chapter 3, verse 10, he said that I may know him. He counted all laws that he may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. <coughs> he said, if by any means I might into the resurrection of the dead. But look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. But I press on. I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehending of Jesus Christ. I want you to stop with me for just a moment. And I want us to look around and take a session. As we look forward to the past, let us look around a little bit and take a little assessment of our lives. Sometimes we need to just stop. They say never go grocery shopping without a list. Never go grocery shopping hungry. I think, well, that's the best time to go. Because that's where they sell food. But... You know, I'll be walking down, I'll be like, Oreos, Nutter Butters, yeah, ribeyes, let's go, you know. You make the list, you go in the pantry, you go into the cupboards, and you say, okay, we're out of this, we're out of this, we need milk, we need eggs, you know, we need cereal, we need gluten-free, whatever for all of y'all, health nuts. We're out of this stuff. We need to make a list. Sometimes we need to take inventory of our own life. It's easy to just look at the surface stuff. We need to take assessment and look around at our own lives. On several occasions throughout Scripture, Paul does just this. Think of it like giving yourself a progress report. Taking assessment is a way to see it. We're making progress in our walk with Jesus Christ. We did it so spiritual. What have we learned? How can we measure spiritual growth? It, it is possible that our discipling can slow. It may have even regret. We may say, 10 years ago I was on fire and I was a soul winner and I was teaching Sunday school and I worked in Bible school and I got burned out. Well, it's time to get relit. Okay? I love drag race. It is amazing. Trey and I and Dean, we go every year to Gator Nationals. And I know that's what Redneck, or you, whatever, it's fun. And if you'd lose some of your pride and go, you'd love it too. 
But what's amazing is these 8,000 horsepower dragsters that will run basically a quarter of a mile in under four seconds at over 320 miles an hour. They're built to run one, one quarter of a mile. The motors are built for that. And as soon as they're done, a lot of times things will break. I mean, what would be catastrophic for us? They pull them back and they have a turnaround time of just 55 minutes to completely rebuild that motor and line it up and run it again. And they will do that if they, if they make it to the championship round, they'll do that eight times in a weekend. And on the final day, they'll do it four times back to back. It's amazing. We'll go back here to the pits and watch them. And I mean, they'll be thrashing. They'll be jerking. But see, they've got somebody for every single thing. And they've got all their tools laid out. And they're all ready to do what needs to be done. I wonder in our own lives, if we run the track, we burn up. But yet we keep trying to go back and run the race again with burnt pistons in our life, with burnt up spiritual elements in our lives that have been consumed by things of the world. And not necessarily that we've fallen into this big pit of sin, but just neglect, maybe. We've not read our Bible like we should. We haven't prayed like we should. Maybe we've just become so burdened over a lost loved one, or we've become uh, so hopeless in our job or in our marriage or you know, with the government, with the world. You watch the news and you see plane crashes and you see economic crashes and you see all kinds of stuff and it becomes very weighty. You think, I, 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 there's just no reason to even have hope. The Bible says if in this world we only have hope, we're of all men most miserable. We need to take an assessment right here and look. When Paul took stock of his life, there were some desirable traits found. And in this verse, I find at least four. And I want to go through very quickly. First of all, he said in verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I got news for you. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a member of this church, how much you see things and you complain about everything. I got news for you. You've not reached that pinnacle yet. Amen? I'm going to tell you about the time you think you have, God will remind you by knocking you off. Sometimes I want to complain about this, complain about that, and God reminds me, hey, big boy, you're not God. Never going to be God. But even in the fact that one day you will be perfected in my son, you've not even reached that yet. And Paul got that. He said, I've not reached the pinnacle yet. I'm not there. I'm not the perfect daddy. I'm not the perfect husband. Look, I'm, I'm not the perfect pastor. I'm not the perfect brother. I'm not the perfect friend. There's things that I need to work on. And in the fact of acknowledging that, we're able to start moving forward in one of the traits that should be found in all believers, and that is humility. When people see you, do they see the love side of Christ? Not compromise. Look, because we love sinners does not mean we compromise our principles on sin. You hear me? Amen. 
This whole idea that for some reason, if we're if we're real Christians, then we won't ever say anything bad about any. Look, we're not trying to bash people, or at least we shouldn't be. We don't hold up signs saying God hates queers. That's not what believers should be doing. What we should be doing is saying Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, but He didn't die so that we could do whatever we want to do. That's the difference. But we've got to be humble in that. What's the old song? It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I've known several people. I thought I wrote that song. <laughs> but the truth is, we're not all that. Hear me, teenager. You're not all that. I mean, I know most of them pretty well. Smart, handsome, pretty, talented, athletic, come from good homes. But you ain't all that. I worked in a funeral home. And I got news for you. When you go back to that back room where nobody wants to go, you're all treated the same. With dignity and respect, but nonetheless treated the same. Because we were all born the same way. As David said, a few days in full of trouble. We were all born into sin. The cause of Adam and Eve's sin and the, the sin that is imputed through them was imputed on us. But when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive imputed righteousness. But it's not our righteousness, right? Isaiah tells us our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. I'm not even going to go into what that's like. But nurses, you get it. Okay? Y'all know what those filthy rags are like. We need to have an assessment and say, am I humble? When people see me, do they see pride and arrogance or do they see the love of Jesus Christ that would meet people right where they were at? It's not about being glad-handing and back-slapping and trying to win friends and influence people. It's not Dale Carnegie kind of stuff. It's about the essence of who Christ was, who made himself a little lower than the angels, born of a virgin, and walked among mankind who hungered and thirst just like you and I did and do, and suffered and died for our sins and not for his own, because he had none. We must get what humility is all about. See, Paul... He didn't, he didn't sit down and eat with anyone. He was humble. And even in the way of being self-effacing. It says in verse 12, I'm, I'm not, not only have I not attained, I'm not perfect. Now, don't use that as a badge to do whatever you want. Well, I'm just human. Well, yes, we understand that. But it is not a get out of free a get-out-of-jail-free card to do whatever we want. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! God has saved us not so that we can just escape sin after 
after it's happened, but the power of sin before it does. It's not just about the power over the penalty. It's over the power of temptation that we can trust, but we can't do without it. Some of you may have made New Year's resolutions. I hear less and less about those things every year. <laughs> Maybe you did make some. Ask yourself, number one, is it what God wants? Number two, can God really help him do it? Number three, am I going to let him do it? When we come to that point, we understand we have not yet attained. He also knows that he had the trait of perseverance. He said, I press on I press on. I'm <coughs> pressing on. He says, I follow after. If you're looking at the King James, I follow after. I, I keep going. I keep going. I look forward. I'm following after. I'm looking ahead at the past. I'm looking at what Jesus has already done for me. And I must, I must at all costs not quit. <laughs> Jeremiah tried to quit. Didn't your prophet, the prophet? He didn't want to quit. He said, matter of fact, I quit. I, I signed and dated my resignation. I quit. But I can't. And he didn't give some big principle of, well, I'm obligated based on contractual issues and I filled out in triplicate uh, all my forms. No, that was not what he said. He said, I don't quit because there's a that says you can't quit. God is real. I can keep going. I can keep going. We got the bench of marathon runners and Ironmen. You ever watch the Spartan race? I sat up last night at midnight watching the Spartan race because it was so intriguing. I wasn't worried about those six foot tall, 135 pound marathon trained you know, 0.32 body fat runner. That's not why I watched. I watched because there was a girl that was a dedicated athlete, sport, fanatic, was playing high school softball, got her leg broke, came infected, went through a year and a half of all kinds of issues, and a little freak breaking your leg on a softball field, they amputated the leg. She was bound and determined to make it through this race. Now, the difference in a Spartan race and other things like an Ironman. Ironman's tough. You got to swim, ride a bike, and run. But the Spartan race is there's 28 obstacles over 80 miles. There's one place you have to carry a 60-pound sandbag up a 500-yard hill and back down. Another one is you have to take and drag a 50-pound concrete block by chain through the mud, through the water, and back up. There's other places where you have to climb over the, uh, the monkey ropes, basically, over water and ring the bell. Other places you have to run through the water. Other places you have to roll under barbed wire. All these kinds of things. There's one girl that had started orphanages and she came home uh, for a uh, deputation to help raise money to start other orphanages. And she had had a freak accident. And in this accident, she had had a traumatic brain injury, but she was beginning to recover. She was going through all of her physical training uh, and PT, and she was just about to get to that point. And one day, she went to back out of the parking lot where she was taking her training, and an 81-year-old 
before she got in a car and injured her even worse. To the point now she has to walk with the arm support things like you'd see with someone with muscular dystrophy. Not only did she do the Spartan race, but she refused to only tow one 50-pound concrete. She said, I've got extra legs. She took two. And they finished her, the other girl I talked about, and a boy that lost his leg in Afghanistan. And those three said, if we don't all finish, then we don't finish. And so they supported each other. It was amazing what these people who the world would say is handicapped could do because they said, we will finish. Paul said, I am going to finish. I look forward and I will keep going. Listen, you've got to understand, Paul was being beat. Paul was being shipwrecked. Paul was being stoned. The things you and I can't even imagine. But I don't want to belittle it because Look, some of you will go back to school this week and be mistreated possibly for the cause of Christ. You'll go to work and be mistreated for the cause of Christ in the county over. They were putting up that Christians are a bunch of empty-headed morons for believing in the nativity and that Jesus Christ was born. Y'all saw that, right? But don't get mad about that. Be brokenhearted about it. Don't get mad. They don't know anybody. They don't know your Jesus. Do you get it? We've got to win them. Because what I hear when I hear somebody doing that is they're saying there's an empty hole in me and I'm trying to fill it up with something. I'm trying to belong. And so they lash out. They're just crying out, please, somebody tell me there's real hope. We must persevere. We must keep on keeping on. Amen? Senior adults, can I get amen right there? Tell these young people, should we keep on keeping on? Amen. Wrong, we don't need to quit, do we? We don't need to quit. Ever? It's ain't time to quit, is it? I can't show my senior citizens. Yeah. <laughs> my buddy. Listen, we can't quit now. Paul persevered. He said, I press on. But young people, don't you quit. Don't you quit. Some of you here may have thought about quitting. Not consciously. But you just say, well, that's so hard to get up and come to Sunday school. How hard. And preach, preach long. And Sunday school is boring and blah, blah, blah. I've never heard anyone quit and say, you know, the food's just not good at Baptist Church. Because it's amazing how everybody show up on the food. But don't you quit. Don't you quit. Somebody's depending on you to love them. Somebody's depending on you in vacation Bible school this year. You said last year, this is my last year. I've had enough. I've been doing it. Let somebody else do it. If, it, if everybody said that, who's going to do it? When I was growing up in vacation Bible school, I don't remember the 25 and 30-year-olds that worked in Bible school. I remember the 60-year-olds. I remember Miss Maggie and Miss June. That's Miss Cook. Those are the ones that stick in my mind 
that loved this rambunctious, crayon-breaking, jumping-out-a-window boy. And when I was ordained, I think they were prouder than my mom and daddy. Because they mom and daddy had to love me. I was there. Miss Maggie had to love me. She could have said, I ain't putting up with him. Send him to the pastor. Send him to his mama. Let him sit with his dad. I'm, I'm not joking. Look, I know it gets tough in some of those kids' classes. You've got to understand, everybody wasn't raised the way you were. And they're not coming because they're saved and right with God. They're coming because they need somebody to love. We must go forward. We must press on. Press on. And then there was confidence. He said, and I press on one just to be doing it that I may lay hold, he said. That I may lay hold or apprehend that which also I am apprehending of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul believed that he would succeed in his life's mission. Do you? We must not allow the obstacles in our path to obscure our view of what God wants to do through us. You know what we're always praying for? Worry about what God's going to do for us. But Paul had his, his perspective right. He was looking at what God wanted to do through him. See, Sherry's going to tell us tonight, not just not what God did for us, even though that's part of it. She's going to tell us what God did through her. And being able to, and we sat down, she and I, and looked at pictures. And some of you who were dedicated in love to help, do you understand that you were able to share the gospel and all the negativity and all the bad stuff we hear around the world about ISIS and the Taliban uh, and, and Al-Qaeda and all the, the terrible news about Islam, which is true, there were mothers at Lifeskill who were Muslims that got Bibles, who got pictures of you, who were told people in America love you. They're not the great Satan. They're not the great infant. They love you. They love you. I don't know about you, but that does something for me. I can't wait for tonight. To hear about what God is doing. We need to have confidence. Not this self. We've already dealt with humility, okay? So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. But I'm talking about being proud of what God can do in our life. God hasn't done anything for you? Amen. Yes. Amen. I didn't know what I was going to see when I walked in the emergency room. And I, I don't want to drag things out. But I'm going to tell you, I was really excited when... I walked in and I had to walk the full length of that emergency room. You try not to look, but you can't help but kind of look. And they're lined up on both sides of the hallway as far as the eye can see. And Rhonda's used to it. She works and all that kind of stuff. And I, she's escorting me back. Lisa's helping me. And, I, you know, and as a pastor, I'm kind of used to it. But they had to place it probably because you know how Philip is. They had to put him way off. Everybody else. <laughs> But I was excited because as soon as I seen Rhonda waving at me like a deer caught in the headlights wandering around, she said, we're down here. 
And I walked in, Philip sitting up in bed. He's like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. And I had no idea what I'm finding when I get there, but leg hurt, chest hurt a little bit, but you see him here today. He called me the next day. He said, I'm home, just want to let you know. God can do stuff like that. Right? God's bigger than cancer, right? God's bigger than our jobs. God's bigger than our problems. God's bigger than everything we face in our life. Sometimes it's very overwhelming. But Paul had confidence that God could do whatever he said he wanted to do. And if God says it, but you ain't got to write it down. You know, someone once said, God said it. I believe it. And that's all that matters. I got news for you. Whether you believe it or not, that's all that matters. Because God said it. Because <coughs> what God has spoken shall be finished. And make no mistake about it. Revelation is going to happen. It's going to happen. Ezekiel is going to happen. God is going to breathe life into Israel in the valley of dry bones. God's going to do that. It's really, really going to happen. Not in Hollywood. Not, look, and there's really going to be people left behind. But we ought to be so burdened and with the confidence God is able to save those to the uttermost that we don't want anybody left behind. We're going to go tell everybody confidence. And purpose, he said, for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. You understand you're born for a reason, right? Some of us struggle with that. There's days where we don't know that reason. That doesn't mean there's not a reason just because you don't know what it is. It's kind of like reading a book. You don't really know what the fullness of the plot is until you kind of start getting into it and toward the end. See how it all works out. And it's really not as much fun when you read it like I did. Read the first three chapters and the last one, you got it. <laughs> read the whole book. See the little things. And whatever you do, enjoy the ride. Some people can't stand to get on a two lane road and go somewhere. <laughs> They want to get on the expressway everywhere they go. I get it. I, I got news for you. It ain't always the expressway, okay? <laughs> and I get tired of clippity cloppity concrete expressways where all you're looking at is hog wire and two strands of bubble. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes I like to get on 411. Sometimes I like to get on. 57. Sometimes I just want to get on the back roads and see, see life, see little things. Don't go the same way every day. Change up your route. Look, because God may be wanting to show you this earth is bigger than your little, little thing that you see. You see, you've got a reason. Your life has purpose. And what are you going to do to fulfill your purpose for being a child of God? How is it done? Mark 1.17 says, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Number one, we follow. Is that it? Right? You join the armed services, 
you go to basic training and it seems all right and, and then when you jump off that bus and they're screaming in your face and everything else the only thing you need to know is do what they say do and say sir yes sir at everything they say you go and they say go you do what you they say do and you do it when they say do it we must understand god's bigger than any of the armed services we need to follow there's people sitting right here this morning that are not doing everything in the purpose God has for you. And then look, when you do what God has purposed in your life, it's supernatural and it'll blow your mind. And people around will say, man, that's got to be God. That's why you must be faithful in your purpose. Look, we must follow he will reveal His purpose for us. You say, I just don't know what my purpose is. How do you know what God's will is for your life? How do you know when God's speaking to you? All I can tell you is, follow Him and you'll know. Follow Him. Keep praying. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord, prepare me. Pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, I will... Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I will not be conformed to the things of this world. I will trust you in your purpose and he will reveal it. And he'll put us to work fishing. Well, we've looked around and made an assessment. Now let's look back and focus on forgetting. He said, brethren, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reach forward into those things which are before. As we look back at where we've come, we've got to remember to forget. Because sometimes it's just, it feeds the flesh to think back of all the misery and we hold on to things. And I don't want to sound too harsh, but I want, I want to tell you a very quick little true story. I had a church member I was very close to in my first church. And he had liver disease. And he was at Emory. Find a hospital as there is. He'd been on the transplant list for quite some time. And I'd went to see him in the hospital he said, Preacher, I'll tell you now. He said, if I don't make it, he said, it's my own fault. He said, I'm not mad at God. He said, I'm the one that did this to my body. He said, I have nothing to do. He said, I should have lived for him when I was younger. And they tried to transplant him three times. And as you know, the liver is it processes medication. They, they want to make sure that liver is on sight before they ever give them any medication because the liver can't handle it. Well, after doing it twice, this was the last shot. And so they went to transform him last time and didn't take it. And on Thanksgiving Day, they called him. And he had passed away. And on that Saturday after Thanksgiving, we held his funeral. And it's very hard, but he had such a tremendous testimony of how God had changed him from a very rough lifestyle. He was about 6'4", and was about 360, 380. 
to, to the point that honestly, I had my brother get in the baptistry with me to make sure we didn't drop him. Now he was strong and kind of healthy and he was able to, but I didn't want to look, 400 pounds? No, I'm going to have some help, a little backup. You know, I'm humble, I understand, I can't do it all. So, but he had that testimony in front of his whole family. And so we celebrated his life, even though we thought it was short. But you know, his wife could never, she would not, she, she could, she said she could, but she wouldn't come back to church because she said, all I see is that casket down front. Now let me tell y'all something. Some of you that still har harbor some of those thoughts, I understand. Okay, number one, I understand. Heartache like that, you don't just get over. And I'm not pretending to say that, but I do want to tell you this. God just spoke to my heart, and I spoke to her, and I said, I want you to think about something. I said, I've known him for about four or five years now. He and his brother had bought season tickets to the Braves when they moved to Turner Field. I went to the inaugural games. We went to all the businessmen specials at 1 o'clock. I mean, I go to 40 Braves games in summer, singular. I spent a lot of time hanging out with him at his tire store. We went to their house and ate, and he was a fun-loving guy. I said, you knew him even longer than I did. I want you to understand, he lived 47 years, but he died in a second. Which one are you going to focus on? Focus on the fullness of his life? See, I don't think about him laying in intensive care. I, I, I remember him. I remember the last time I saw him like that. But what I remember is he and I strolling through Turner Field eating hot dogs with everything you could possibly put on them. Getting shot in the chest with one of them t-shirt guns. And him saying, yeah, he was a ball player, wasn't he? His dry sense of humor. He had a beard, but he looked like Gentle Bean. Or Grizzly Adams. That's who had Jim Ben. Jim Ben was a bear. Well, he looked like both of them. <laughs> this dude was huge. Big old beard, but he was a big teddy bear. But what I mean to tell you is today, when we look back, we have to focus on forgetting the bad stuff, the bad elements in our life. We've all messed up. I got news. You want to say, I just, you don't understand what I've done. No, but you don't understand what I've Get this. Paul had to every day get up knowing he'd killed Christians of whom he was now one of them. Children. He killed children. He had women locked up. He was not some just okay guy. This guy was the most militant jihadist of Judaism you could imagine. He was vindictive, he was legalistic, and he ruled with a rod of iron, and he had everybody over him's authority to do it. And bless God, he did it with everything he had. Every day of his life, he had to get up and forget it. He had to forget that the government since then had persecuted him. Even the Christians didn't want anything to do because they couldn't believe as big as God was, God could fix Paul. You remember that? They didn't want it. They said, no, this is the guy who kills us. Beware. 
He had to understand every day and forget the Jews considered him a traitor. He had to focus on forgetting, and that was not easy. Look, you don't know what we got to forget? Our pre-conversion sin. If Jesus can forget it, then you ought to forget it. You say, you just, oh, the guilt. Oh, I, it's been since I was saved. I got news for you. Our post-conversion failures and sin is just as much under the blood as the pre-conversion, if we prayed and trusted Jesus Christ, He said He's faithful. Amen? He is faithful and just to forgive me. And to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? And how much is all? I like that, don't you? <coughs> Focus on forgetting the way that life has treated us. We can whine and bellyache, oh, world's been unfair and I didn't have anything. Mom and daddy didn't do this. I didn't have a Christian home. And I didn't. Look, you're here. That means God has blessed you. God has allowed you to come. And if anybody walked to church here today, it was your own choice. And if you're hungry, it's your own choice. Because all you have to do, if you come to Sunday school, I promise you won't be hungry when you leave. Because there are about 32 breakfast casseroles and at least 12 dozen donuts on this church property on any given Sunday morning. And I was tempted. I walked, you want a donut? You want a donut? I'm trying to get away from the sugar stuff. I didn't want to say that out loud, but I am because now they won't offer me any. <laughs> we need to understand we have to get up and say, I choose to forget what God has forgotten. <coughs> the way that families treated you, you're still mad because ain't so-and-so said something to you or didn't do so-and-so for you during Christmas and, and your brother got some gun that was your grandpapa's and you were promised that. Get over it. Dude, man, you gonna let some piece of China steal your victory in Christ? You gonna go to your grave not speaking to your family member over something that if there was a fire, you'd lose it anyway? For real? Get over it. Focus on forgetting it. Even how supposed Christians have treated you. People quit church all the time and say, well, them deacons don't work. Them deacons ain't go, 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 go. The pastor go out love. Those people will leave the next church mad too. <coughs> they will. Because they're just looking for something to be mad at. Some people are happiest when they're mad. Because they've not accepted that purpose and they're not focusing on forgetting it. And we've got to do that. And then we need to look ahead and keep pushing toward the goal. He said, I re reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The temptation for us is to look back with regret. So uh, there's so much I should have done in 2014. But what we must look ahead to is 2015 and say, God's given us a whole new opportunity. Right? There's things I wish we had done here this year. 
I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better shepherd. I want to lead more people to the cross. We must set goals. Goals help us in matters of discipline. You know, New Year's resolutions are much maligned by us preachers like I have before, but in all actuality, they can be good things. They represent goals. Goals can serve as benchmarks all through the year. Goals are for kingdom advance, not selfish in nature. Let me read you some numbers real quickly. I want you to think about this. This past year at Eastside Baptist Church, we baptized 21 believers. Amen. Year before, we baptized 24. My goal is that we would baptize 30 this year. Is that a thing? Yes, Can we lead that many people to Christ? Can Jesus save? It's not about us. Remember what I said. Goals are for kingdom advance, not selfish in nature. It's not about the number for us. But understand, if he said 3,000 were saved in Acts 2, then numbers matter. And if we set a goal of 30, then I want you to think there's a face on each one of those 30. There's a life on each one of those 30. There's a family in each one of those 30. Sunday school average last year was 174. We're good. Last year, the year before, it was 165. Some of you knew it. You're the nine. You're the nine faith. Church, you brought new visitors. People you care about. Nine. We had nine today. What are we going to have next year? 184? Right? Or 183? I, I like my account. Surely we can have this 185 in Sunday school, can we? Huh? Yes. Means you've got to invite somebody. I can't invite them. <coughs> Means we've got to start new units. Worship attendance was 220. <coughs> How many do we want to see coming? We know that on several occasions, such as you've got in Thunder, we had over 500 people in here. Mm. We had several hundred for men's wild game banquet. That'll be coming up in a few months. How many can we average in worship to come together to lift up the name of Jesus? In vacation Bible school, including children and workers. You want to take a guess what the number was? <coughs> 184. We can average 200 this year, can't we? Means you got to come. Means you got to help. Means you got to invite. 200. That's our goal. 200. We're going to average 200 vacation Bible school this year. And I'll put all this stuff on paper so you can see it. Now listen, listen. You need to be proud of these numbers I'm about to give you. $7,600 to Lottie Moon. $7,600 that went to international missions. $2,900 to Annie Armstrong for North America. We can do better than that. Cooperative program working together with 44,000 other Southern Baptist churches to go toward seminaries, go toward Christian ethics and religious liberty, to go toward their missions boards, $26,367. To the Tattle Evans, $7,200. Do you understand that in all missions 
combined, we gave right at $60,000 in missions. Now, that's just, that's about 11% of what we brought in. 10% if you count the building fund. We can raise that. Amen? We can raise that to help on mission. This past year, our budget was 576, 511, and we gave 548, 471. We said, well, let's do it. That's better than in past years. But look, if we're going to set a budget, let's meet That's $28,000 in the red. Let's not, let's not work on Obamanomics. Let's work on biblical economics. Let's, let's give. And understand the goals of what we're going to set forward for our church. And, and mission giving and mission going. We need to set goals. And therefore, the kingdom advance. And the ultimate goal is to be with Jesus. He said, I keep pressing forward. For what? For the prize. What's the prize of the high calling? To be with him. That's what it's all about. The only way to achieve that goal is to answer his call. And he is calling you. So what is your response? As we look forward to the past, by looking around and assessing, by looking back and forgetting, and looking ahead and pushing forward, we must, we must take this wonderful opportunity today to look within ourselves and be honest with God and know that God will not just see us through, but God will bless the journey That's right. as they come right now. I press. I press on. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling God in Christ Jesus. Are you pressing? Today you need to press against your will. You need to press against every instinct. And you need to come make a, a verbal, spiritual, faith-filled commitment to God. That you will move forward in His speed, with His help, and for His glory. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, come talk to me this morning. I'd like to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have not joined, you need to be a member of this church. You've not been baptized, but you've been born again. And you need to let the world know that believers' baptism and obedience, Jesus said, why not come forward this morning? Whatever you need to do, don't wait to the second Sunday. Start on the first. Be honest with God. Let God bless you.
excited about 2015, aren't you? And I pray that we'd be everything God wants us to be. That we would take each day as just each step. God is able to all, do all things above and beyond anything we could ever imagine or even think. We've got to take that step toward Him in faith. Trust Him today. Don't forget to come back. We're going to be in here, right? Be in here tonight at 6 to hear Miss Sherry and her testimony of what God is doing and prepare our hearts to understand about giving and what great things can happen. Anything else before we're dismissed in prayer this morning? If not, let's pray. Father, thank you. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.